City King Kong. Your curiosity quest starts here. Welcome in, everybody, to the Kiko Podcast. Danny, Travis, Alan, and a special guest that we have today. Don't stray too far from the family tree with our guests, but uh, we have Stephen Barnes here who's going to play a special role in one of our questions today. How you doing, Steve? Doing well. Good. So we didn't want to like, we felt like the ratio of two barns to one was not enough. So to compensate, we brought in three. Now we have a three-fourths majority. This means that I, I mean. We could fill a buster. I am. <laughs> okay, what? And that doesn't mean that you're filling up something called a buster. It's a, it's a political term. Yeah, it's, Filibuster. This, this reminds me Filibuster. of. Uh, it's basically Congress. When one side has enough power, they can just go. Uh, I'm going to talk forever. We're going to just do everything you don't want to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't that basically what the government is anyway? Just doing whatever they want to do. <laughs> if it gets super one sided, especially. <laughs> this reminds me of Karate Kid Three, though. Does anybody know why? <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. <laughs> I guess no. he's fitting right in. The Barnes the Boys. Do you remember the Barnes Boys? Was, weren't there like three of them? <laughs> on Karate Kid? Yeah, on Karate Kid Three. Like, Is there remember the bad guys? Mr. Silver and he hires the Barnes Boys to like rough up Danielson? Oh, that's a conundrum. The for one movie reference is from Karate, Karate Kid <laughs> Three. There's like no reference. Is it just because they're the Barnes Boys? Is that they're, they're just it's the only movie that they're, that, they're the only Karate Kid movie that they're in? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that no, one didn't do as well no as other, one and two. <laughs> there's no other Barnes Boys in any other movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the only movie I'm aware. Yeah, of. in real life. The Barnes Boys, we always pretended we were like the three ninjas. It was Rocky, Colt, Colton, and Tom Tom. Yeah. It's Tom Tom. Tom Tom. Tom Tom. Oh, Tom Tom. Were you Tom Tom? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was Rocky. Steve was Colt. Alan was I mean, Tom-tum. I get it because, like, just the way that the age wise, you know, everything, you know, the oldest was Rocky, the middle, Steve was Colt, and then the youngest was Tum Tum. I just feel like that was just a real kick to the junk to Alan just because he was a little bit more rounder than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, just anymore. because he liked food a little bit more at that time, no. you know, that was rude. But uh, hey, Alan was perfectly happy being Tum Tum. <laughs> he had to be. <laughs> okay, we won't get into our childhood issues between me and Dan, but let's just say my nickname growing up from me, he only referred to me as Chub Chub. <laughs> that, that's literally. Right. Oh my gosh, that's and true. not even that's so really many psychological to the point issues. Where it wasn't even like a mean thing anymore. It was just like, "Hey, chub chub." Alan's <laughs> <laughs> had to battle that psychologically for the rest of his life. Yeah, uh, did I really? I don't remember. Oh, that. I remember that too. You know what? It's starting to really understand a lot of the things that I witnessed as a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a young child at the Barnes family house. Uh, things could get rough <laughs> at our house. <laughs> we uh, 
I, I really think that there should be a day that we really do go into all of that. However, today <laughs> is not that day. Um, we, <laughs> we'll just have a whole episode and it's just titled, What Happened what to happened? Alan? <laughs> <laughs> just what happened in the Barnes home is really what I want to... I. We, we have a, a, another friend of ours that's going to be visiting in, in the month of July, and I, I kind of feel like we should have a sit-down talk during that moment, and we can just hash all of this stuff. Because he was present for a lot of that as well. What, what happened in the Barnes home? The true yeah. story behind Tum Tum. We're going to need a fifth <laughs> microphone. <laughs> we would. <laughs> Or we could just share, share one. one. It doesn't really matter. But uh, we do have a good show today. Before we uh, get into our questions, uh, wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to a few of our fans out there. Now, to kind of give you an idea of what was going on, um, apparently people are a little bit more, I guess, willing to, to listen more on on youtube than than the other place that's just where we're getting the most traction which is funny because that was also the place that we did not think to really follow at all we just like all right let's just throw it on youtube just because it's there and mostly because it's audio and we figure youtube is video. video yeah so but i guess a lot of people like it there and we're getting a lot of good comments and uh, quite a few views. So thank you to everybody out there. Um, special thanks to users Lunatic0855 and Lindsay Niles, uh, who are our most active commenters. We appreciate it. They seem to have some really nice comments. Some really, I wouldn't say constructive. They're, like very, they're just very nice. They make us feel good. Yeah, especially when it's uh, some good things about me because I, I really like them. <laughs> I think being nice is constructive. Oh, it's constructive for our self-esteems, I guess. Yeah. But. And I need all that I can get because I grew up Jub Jub. <laughs> it's a book that you should write, Growing Up Chub Chub. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it should just be like from Chub Chub to and then whatever you want to call yourself now. God. <laughs> Okay, there's some other problems that we have to discuss about that. <laughs> well, he's always devil's advocate. <laughs> From so. self-image to egotistic. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, we thank you guys for participating and, and for your comments. We really like to hear that. Uh, share our podcast with as many people as you can and, and make sure that uh, – you subscribe to our, our YouTube page and then, of course, to everywhere else. I mean, literally go to everything we have and yeah. click subscribe. <laughs> Just because you're subscribed to YouTube doesn't mean you can't go listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Or check out our there. Instagram page. Go to Instagram, Facebook. Speaking of Instagram, we also have to just mention real quick the uh, situation that happened a couple days ago that literally made it so that I could not work all day. Um, I was in a similar boat though. Like <laughs> I was trying to, but then I just kept, well, I had a, like I told you, Trev, I had to turn off my notifications because I still had notifications from Instagram every time that we got a new follower and my phone just started blowing up and that's what started this entire. So fiasco. I went, I was at lunch and as I'm coming back, my phone keeps vibrating from messages that, that I have from Danny and Alan and uh, they're just talking about, like, where are all these Instagram followers coming from? And so I go on there, and, you know, we're just starting out. So we only had – I think we had, like, less than 100. Yeah, we had, uh, like, 93, 94, I think, that start yeah, followers. That and it just kept going up and up and up. 
and hup <laughs> up and hup uh every time i opened up my phone we had like another hundred followers and we peaked at 1360 now by me saying this don't think that we are super naive that you know all of a sudden tons of people just found us super we interesting hit, we just hit the big time like all of a sudden we're like oh my gosh we're famous <laughs> Like, what are we going to do? We start talking about how we're actually going to spend all the money that we're going to be making off of, off of our social medias. No, that's not what actually happened. We know that somehow, because most of the people that started following us there were like businesses and things like that. And hey, thank you if you're listening. Thank you for following us. We appreciate that. Um, but we also know that there's a real good chunk of you that just want us to follow you back. And uh, you're not even listening to us. So... Yeah, if you, you. Uh, <laughs> if you like actually write a quote, like quote something that we say in one of our podcast episodes to us as a comment, we'll follow you back. Like quote this: Travis is a sexy beast. <laughs> you do that, we, we will know it's legit. <laughs> <laughs> no way somebody's gonna say that on their own. Ah, uh, <laughs> burn, Steve. First, well, that's not your first time on here, but second time here, I make me feel bad. <laughs> chub, chub, just kidding. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that was that was an interesting thing. Now it's starting to uh, we're starting to lose the ones that are obviously not interested. But you know what? We're thankful for the ones that are following us because they want to follow us and they're listening and they want to learn. If so, of that thirteen hundred, we have thirteen of you that are true fans. That means the world to us. Yes, even if it is just two. But two can turn into four and, and eight, eight. <laughs> 16. So, yes, we can all do math. But uh, all right. Well, let's let's get going today. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell everyone what is on the docket for the day? All right. So today we have another good episode for you. We're going to get into uh, three different questions like we always do. The first question is, is high frequency trading still a problem? And if you don't know what high frequency trading is, don't worry. We will do our best to explain that to you. Uh, that's the uh, segment in which we will be talking to Steve, who is an expert in that area. Follow that with how would you like to re or how would you react to a real life trolley problem? Alan's gonna head that question, but we're gonna get into some moral and ethical dilemmas there. Uh, and have a discussion about that. And then finally, we'll get into why do video game movies suck? And the travel yeah. spearhead that one. And I think he's got some good info for us on that. And I've actually done some statistical analysis as well for that. So stay tuned for all of that. You don't want to miss any of it. And why don't we just get right into the first question? Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Yeah. Thanks, Vin Diesel. I looked for like some kind of stock market quote, <clears throat> but those are boring. So I'm sure with. there had to have been one in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's some good ones out there, but with, there was. Uh, but finding I was looking one without for, the f bomb might yeah, be. <laughs> and I was looking for one uh, in that Boiler Room movie because there was one that I actually wanted to use, but I could not find a clip of it. So finally, I'm like, going to the good old standby. Vin is it Diesel, the, Fast and the Furious? Is it the, whoever says money is the ruler of all evil doesn't have any. And then he throws his Ferrari keys on the table. He's like, look at that. That's a Ferrari. Smile from ear to ear, baby. <laughs> I don't think that 
is quite how that scene went. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Whatever. Well, but, let me start out. Yes, no, that is one of them, and that's not the one I was looking for. It's another one that is pretty long, yeah, but yeah. I can't quote it right off the top of my head. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so to start out, like I said, uh, my brother Steve is a, is a quote unquote expert, but I don't know why I put it in quotes. He's an expert yeah. in uh, this area, so. Uh, we're going to talk to him and interview him a little bit on is high frequency trading still a problem? But to get into that, Trav is going to do a little I'm gonna professional do, I'm gonna do a little intro. Uh, intro for for Steve. So take it away, Trav. So Stephen Barnes is a lawyer by day, but an avid philosopher of the stock market by night. He has studied and traded in equity markets since he was a young boy and continues to learn all things related to financial markets. I can tell you that he has been doing this since a little boy because he frequently would ask for money from me. <laughs> He's like, Travis, hey, just give me 100 bucks. I'll turn it into 200 You would think that he had a gambling problem, <laughs> but he just really loved the stocks. He has written and published a Kindle book by the title of <gasps> Regulating High Frequency Trading. An examination of U.S. equity market structure in light of the May 6, 2010 flash crash. I've realized... It's a simple title. (laughs) I've realized why he has put so many words in that title. It's because like, when people are looking at it on Amazon and they're just searching for books with any word in it, <laughs> they will find right, his book. Keywords. More than Mary. But yeah, his, his book is available on Amazon, so you should check it out. Uh, if you have I, any interest in this, in this subject or this area, it's actually it's a short book. It's about 67 pages or something like that. Um, I was able my, to. <laughs> it's long yeah, in my book. <laughs> I I took my Kindle time pages. going through it because I wanted to kind of really soak it in and then just also you know highlight a bunch of spots and and I kind of knew I wanted to talk to Steve about it, but I still was able to read it in probably like two hours total reading time. So it's not it's not bad. Um, I want to just point out before you get going on this how hurt I am, Stephen. You wrote this back in 2012, and I didn't know that you published a book. If I would have published a book, I would have told everybody. Hey, Trav, don't feel bad because I, his brother, just found out like two months ago. <laughs> he was like, oh, I have a book Why are you not like, shouting what? from it's, the it's, rooftops? It's not, it's not necessarily like leisure reading. doesn't matter. So, you know. See, that's the difference between me and him. Like, I do the smallest little thing that, of like, accomplishment that really means nothing. And I'm like, I have to tell everyone. They need to yeah. to see it. Steve, you could have like, just been like, oh, yeah, "I wrote a book back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book. It's published. <laughs> it might be boring to you, but check it out." Uh, Alan will call me and he'll be like, "I pooped." I'm like, "What?" It's like I pooped all by myself. Well, you know what? On the toilet that he has, I applaud him. That thing is like so tall. <laughs> That's true. Like I sit. It's on, I'm six for you. three. I'm six three, and I sit on it, and my feet dangle. So. <laughs> How do you think I feel? I have a hard time. <laughs> you guys just look like little tiny. You gotta like have a, like a step stool to get up there. It's <laughs> kind of it's like it's kind of like a a battle internally for me when I sit on that because I'm a lot shorter than Trav. So you know how naturally when you go up somewhere high, you, your butt puckers. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? But then at the same time, I don't like, think you can say butt puckers. Um, <laughs> 
but I like <laughs> I don't I like know. I'm trying to go to the bathroom at the same time, so it's just it's hard. You have to like you have to fight these I, internal. I, still, I don't know what that means. I don't think anybody else has a problem with that. Like I thought that was like a common thing. I've gone to the bathroom in an airport or in an airplane bathroom. Let's remember. Let's remember. This is this is coming from the guy who was passed out twice on the toilet. (laughs) Uh, We'll have to talk about that. We'll have to get into that. Yeah. Let's let's get into high frequency trading. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. Although I don't know how we can now after you said butt puckers. All right, so yeah, high frequency trading. Um, so let's just get into this. So, Steve, do you mind explaining um, what high frequency trading is? Do you have maybe an example that would help uh, the common layman understand what yeah. high frequency trading is? Just say, just say it how you want to say it. Do you have a way to explain it that I, Travis, Travis will well, understand? So, <laughs> so first off, before we get into it, I just want to like correct the record. So. Travis said that I would ask him for money and uh, all the time, but Travis, actually, the only business deal that I remember doing with you, I totally got ripped off. You got your gerbils later. I never <laughs> got my gerbils. You bought them later. So as really quick, as children, Travis and I, he, his neighborhood was like a new neighborhood, and they were constructing new houses all the time. So that summer, we went to the store with whatever money we had, I think I think we both put up equal amount of money. We purchased a bunch of like off-brand soda for really cheap, and then we let we we put them in a cooler with ice. Walked around in a wagon and sold it for like double or triple our cost to all the construction <laughs> workers. We were making a killing. Yeah, it was like it was all in an effort to purchase gerbils. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was the end goal. So we were gonna make this money. The plan was make the money. We go to the pet store, JNL Pet Store, and we buy us some gerbils. We'd each have one. Little did I know, after I went home, Travis and his little brother took all the money, went to this pet store, okay. and bought gerbils for themselves. I just want to tell you that, yes, I am in. I am at fault for that, but so are you because you left the money in my hands. <laughs> I am an 11-year-old boy with like 30 bucks and a need for a gerbil. Can <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, you okay. imagine that in the banking system? Like, you left with money in my hands, so <laughs> oh. that's why your, your account's empty. It's just... <laughs> Anyway. I bought a hundred thousand dollars worth of gerbils. <laughs> it's a good investment. <laughs> With your money, yeah. so many gerbils. But all right, so we should probably focus yeah. okay, a little sorry. bit on this. So, question, so back so. to high frequency trading. So, I guess to explain high frequency trading, maybe it's it would be uh, good to ex- uh, tell you a little story, a true story of uh, something that happened in two thousand nine ish time period. And so this 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 story actually can be found in Michael Lewis's book uh, Flash Boys. So this is before 2010, the flash crash and two, yeah, crash yeah. In this is okay. before. So so I mean, high frequency trading kind of. So just to put it succinctly, high frequency trading is a type of trading where uh, proprietary traders they'll trade like millions of shares back and forth at 
rapid speed and high frequency, hence the term high frequency <laughs> trading. And they do it with they do it with like computers and algorithms, and so so it's so fast that you know humans couldn't ever do that. And so I guess the story of high frequency trading actually starts back in uh, early two thousands. When uh, in, in, in 2002, for instance, you still had like the majority of, of trading happening with human beings. Um, you would have to place an order with your broker and then, and then an actual human would execute your orders. But um, then the SEC came out with rules that made it so that like digital uh, or electronic trading with computers um, made, made a lot of sense. And so that kind of came into play and you had computers starting to do the training, trading. Um, so is this like the early days of like Ameritrade and E-Trade yeah, and yeah. those platforms, Scott Trade? Yeah, so, so those were all coming, you know, coming into being. And then, uh, and then in, in like 2000, um, I guess middle, late, 2000s, then you really had uh, these high-frequency trading shops popping up. And so what they would do is uh, they would use their speed advantage to um, get get ahead of human traders, right? So they could trade much more quickly than humans could. And so um, to explain it uh, with another example, uh, if you are a um, on a highway and you're driving in a truck and some like super fast motorcycle breezes by you on the highway and buys up all the gas in front of you then uh, once you get to like the next gas station right that that motorcycle driver tries to sell you the gas at a higher price because he's bought up all the gas so so one sh- strategy that high frequency traders <laughs> First, it's I, just I was an example. He like took the gas. I'm like, how is he carrying all that gas? <laughs> yeah, but no, I get it. Okay, so he goes ahead and he tells the gas station attendant, "I'm purchasing all the gas you have, and I'm going to resell it." Yes. So, so this is called front running in the industry, and uh, isn't that what isn't that what it, like every retailer does? Front running? I don't know. Like, no, there's buy it wholesale and then sell it yeah, for more. The middleman retailing like any like Walmart. Yeah. Yes, I mean, well, they they uh, buy of, they buy all the kind. stuff from the warehouse for cheap and then they mark it up like 30%. Never yeah. mind. But this is it's a little different because so I get you. Yeah. <laughs> I He's talking about high frequency trading and he acts like he doesn't know what retail is. <laughs> I know what retail is. <laughs> so, no, so th- think about it as uh okay, so you're trying to buy a stock for, let's say, $20 a share, right? And um, you're about to, you, you know, or you actually push your buy button or trade button, you know, with your online broker or whatever. These high-frequency traders, they have certain speed advantages, um, and we'll get into that in a second. So they can actually see orders coming down the pipe, they can hurry and buy up the shares that were selling for $20. And so now there's no longer shares sell, uh, selling for $20. So they buy it for $20 and then they automatically sell it maybe for $20 and one cents. So once you're, by the time your order gets there, now it's $20 and one cent, but they knew you were coming. And this is all speed of light. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and we're, we'll get we're, we'll get into that too. Uh, yeah, so 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 the way it's been described is like the high frequency traders they know the end of the horse race while everyone else still thinks the horse race is happening, and oh. so then they can place their bets accordingly. Hmm. So it's a distinct advantage, is what you're saying. Yeah, and so 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 all right. So to continue this story. So um, in, in Michael Lewis's book Flash Boys, which came out after my book. So I like to think that I inspired his, <laughs> his book because my book was basically on this topic. And I, I, um, I, I cite the same story in my book, although I, I spend like a paragraph on it and he spends like a whole chapter talking about this particular story. But there's a guy named, I think his name is Daniel Spivey. And uh, he was a, a, a trader in, in the high-frequency industry and uh, this was, I think, you know, 2008, 2009. And it, it, all, it became a game of speed. So you have all these firms out there, proprietary trading firms, that are making billions from employing these high-frequency trading strategies, basically um, getting ahead of other tra- slower traders. And uh, he was trying to figure out, he was obsessed with trying to create a faster um, trading mechanism and so a lot of the, the strategies involved um, trading on like minor differences in prices between Chicago and New Jersey, uh, where, where you have like two major financial centers, right? In Chicago, you have futures trading. And in New Jersey slash New York, you've got stock trading. And so they would trade on differences between the futures market and the stock market. And so what he, he did is like he was thinking one day, like, hey, if I can create a like lay a fiber optic cable in a straight line between chicago and new jersey then i would have the fastest like fiber optic line for trading in existence and so he did a bunch of research figured out nobody else has done this before none of like the telecom companies like verizon or or, or whatnot had thought about this and so he raised um him and the, I'm trying, uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was like the, the founder of Netscape, if you remember Netscape. Oh, yeah. So he got, he got that guy to put up $300 million to build this like half-inch fiber optic cable that would hold 400 glass fibers. Um, and so they were, the plan was to bury that line and go straight from Chicago to New Jersey. And the reason why they want it to be so straight because the straight line is the shortest yeah. distance between two points, right? So yeah. like when, we, when we're saying straight or when Steve's just saying straight, he literally means they wanted it to go as straight as possible. And if that meant like having to like pay people off to be able to cut through their property, that's what they were trying to do. And only if there was just no way around something would they put like a slight turn in it. Yeah, like in, in 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 Flash Boys, it goes into a lot of detail. He's saying like, yeah, he like they drilled through like hard limestone mountains, and they would like take them, you know, they would go like a few hundred feet a day, and it's they're just doing like a small hole, but and it was top secret like none of the construction workers knew what in, like what in the heck was the purpose so of almost like this line. The, back in like the when they built the railroads yeah kind, kind of, of kind of but like except for like he would they would hire crews of like six men at a time to work on it but they didn't know that there was other crews of six men working on it like elsewhere Oh, so, like, so nobody had like the full. Yeah, so yeah. they are like each other. Like than each them. crew might know, like, oh, we're working on this two mile thing, but they had no idea that this whole thing was going to stretch from Chicago all the way to New York. 
Yeah, because they were like obsessed with secrecy. So yeah, they had like each crew had their own segment of yeah. the line that they were going to build. So anyway, so he, he gets done building this. I want to say in two thousand nine ish or something like that. And um, like they hadn't even gone out to see if these proprietary high frequency trading firms would pay to use their line to trade. Um, but he started going around and like everyone was like so excited about this. And they were, so the plan was they had 400 fibers in there, right? You need one to go one direction and one to go the other. So they could sell up to 200 firm, like 200 firms could be their customer. And so 200 connections, yeah, 200 connections. And so they were like, and at the time, I think the book says there were 400 proprietary trading firms employing these strategies. And so it's like, Basically, they were telling people like only half of you will be able to do this. If you don't oh, do this, so to... you will be slower than these other two hundred, and you're you will go out of business because so it's they, all about speed. They wanted to start a bidding war. Yeah, it's the need for speed. So yeah. they they I'm ended going up to mention the need for speed. <laughs> 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 what a coincidence! <laughs> I knew that was coming as soon as he said that. I was like, oh, Trav's going to be excited about oh. this. Wait, I don't. I don't know if. You know the answer to this question. Is there any uh, when making like high frequency trades? Does bandwidth matter? Like each I connection. I don't, I don't think it takes like a whole lot of bandwidth to like send the data. This is not oh, like okay. a ton of data, but it's just you need super fast connection. So, like in the end, this straight. I think it was like eight hundred something miles. I think they were shooting for eight hundred and forty miles as their goal, and they actually got it down to eight hundred twenty-seven miles. Because yeah, they were like literally like. They had to like pay off like farmers to go through their cornfields and like they they had like weird underneath like people's parking lots and company yeah. businesses. And they like yeah. negotiate with the business. Like one business was like an ice cream factory and they're like, Well, if we expand, we don't want you to bury your line there in the parking lot. We might need that. And that was like the last piece they needed. And they're like, just, and then finally the guy caved and they did it and finished the line. But and like he was so obsessed that. Like if the construction crew was like, "Hey, the right of way is on the right side of the road here, and then it goes under the road and to the left side, starting at this point." And this Daniel Spivey guy was like, "Can you like? I don't want to go under the road because then I have to make a ninety degree turn, go under the road, yeah, and go out, and then can continue going straight on the other side of the road." And so he would like make them if they were going to cross the road, they would have to do it like diagonally, gradually, because that would be a little bit straighter, because it would shave off like three hundred nanoseconds. And so in the end, like I think at the time, firms could trade between Chicago and New York at like I think he said it was like um, seventeen milliseconds, and a millisecond is a thousandth of a second. Mm-hmm. And after they built this line, their line could do it in thirteen. And Whoa. so they shaved off like three or four milliseconds. milliseconds. But that a was nano, a lot. A nanosecond, is that a millionth or a billionth of a... It's a, it's a billionth. A billionth. I thought nano. A nano? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah micro is a billionth. billionth. Yeah. yeah, a nano is a billionth. So anyway, um, so you ended Do up you selling... you have an idea how deep it went? Because like the earth curves, so you could make even a straighter line <laughs> if you deeper. went deeper. You know what Maybe. I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know if they got that. I don't think they went that deep. Yeah. Like, well, somebody's going to do it now, <laughs> even quicker. Well, so in the end, he ended up se- selling each connection. You know, you could sell 200 of them for about $14 million for a five-year lease of the line. And so they ended up collecting $2.8 billion from their initial five-year lease. Chump change. 
300 million invested and 2.4 billion. It's pretty good. It's good. Good return. ROI. But but they calculated that, you know, uh, whoever employed these strategies over those five years would make like multiples of billions times that, like by using this line. So that just gives you an idea of like how much money people are making so off this. So I don't want to surprise any of you with this. I, I know I actually talked about this with, with Danny uh, the other day when he was bringing this up to me. But I for some somehow know about all of this and I don't know why. And I think it's because they're making a movie about oh, this. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and are. I've and I just tried to look it up, but I know I've seen the trailer. <laughs> yeah, so I just I, I actually looked at this yesterday in okay. preparation because I was like, yeah, I swear like they were gonna make Michael Lewis's book Flash Boys into a movie because he's already got three other books that are movies, right? Yeah. Blindside and Moneyball, Moneyball. and uh, what was the other one? The big big the big short. Big, big short, short. Yeah. So, uh, but and and it looks like I guess I forget what studio they just sold the rights to Netflix. So it looks like it's going to be a Netflix movie. Oh, but yeah, I've seen I've seen it, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. And then you started talking about it, Dan, and I was like, why do I know this? <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot like, of interesting I am not, characters. In I am like, not I interested in this, this stuff. You like typically, real, so. I didn't know this is real story. Yeah. So, I mean, that was yeah, that was a good explanation. Uh, more thorough than I expected. So thank you, Steven. Um, <laughs> that was question number one that I He's had. trying to hit off like a lot of these questions. <laughs> so yeah, we'll skip through some of these, but how many questions do you have? <laughs> well, I had 12, 12 questions. <laughs> so we will be here for 12 hours of, I just took care of 11 of them. Okay, good. <laughs> no, but yeah, so Steve, he just gave us like a description of what high frequency trading is and kind of how they will use this to, uh, he used an example earlier Earlier, when he was talking about how they could see an order coming in for $20 and they would hurry and buy it up and then sell it for 2001 and that's how they would make some money on that spread. Doing that thousands or millions of times a day would add up quickly. Um, so from that, let's just jump into uh, the flash crash really quick. So that's like the biggest, uh, most well-known thing that occurred from high-frequency trading to this point. Uh, but in... Like the title of your book says, on May 6, 2010, there was a flash crash that occurred in the stock market, which I believe was it a, about a thousand points of the stock market. The Dow Jones dropped. Yeah, so it was points a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember. Stay the course. Stay the course. <laughs> thousand points a lot. Okay. Yeah. So so this uh, yeah May sixth, uh, I think in the afternoon, um, the 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 stock market in a span of twenty minutes. Stock market lost one trillion dollars in value. Uh, I, I, yeah, some stocks were down a lot more than others, which we can get in, into in a second on why. But um, what? So and and what happened was it was kind of a culmination of things, is my understanding. Uh, and at the time, I was actually interning at the SEC, so it was kind of interesting um, to have this in the news because I was working for the SEC who was involved in trying to figure out what happened. Uh, but so did you get to personally go try to figure it out? or No, I was not like in that department. Uh, hey, intern, get me coffee while I figure <laughs> this out. Right away, Mr. Baker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I, th- I think that kind of like played into me um, 
so, so this book was basically uh, came out of writing a paper in law school. That was kind of my thesis paper for law school. So I was writing uh, on high frequency trading and, and regulation behind it because of this flash crash. That kind of the, more than anything, the flash crash like made people realize that hey, maybe like all this algorithmic electronic trading is a potential issue and nobody's really been paying attention Judgment to it. Judgment day. Yeah. Told you guys so, that so, last yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I saw the new trailer. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, they think, I don't know if anybody knows for sure uh, exactly how it happened, but it had something to do with a firm that, like sold their algorithm was like set incorrectly, and so it was just told to like sell S and P mini uh, E mini futures, uh, which which are one of the most popular futures contracts out there to hedge um, their long stock positions. So it was just like the the market was going down that day. I think it was down four percent anyway because of turmoil in Europe and this was like the time around the this time the when Greece thing Yeah, or? Greece was like people thought that they uh, were gonna default on their debt. Collapse and stuff. Yeah. Aren't and so the there's musical? I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the movie what? stopped selling well <laughs> in two thousand ten. Is this, is this one but goes? it had a good thirty year <laughs> <line. laughs> Oh and and so the market was already jittery that day, and then they dumped, and, and then they dumped a bunch of cheap shares out. Well, and so the this like algorithm dump, like sold into the market a bunch of S and P E mini futures, which dropped the price of the futures contracts. Yeah, and then everybody else is like, oh, like the futures market's dropping, must be some big like news or some big event happened, and the market is crashing, right? And so then everybody else's algorithms like fed on that and we're like, it's going down. And everybody's like, sell, 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 sell. And then um, to make matters worse, uh, over the years since the early 2000s, these high frequency traders, they replaced what I will call traditional money uh, or market Market makers. makers. Yeah. And traditional market makers were regulated by the SEC. They had certain rules, like they had to provide liquidity no matter what the market's doing. So even if like there's a panic, they're supposed to always have a bid and an ask or bid and offer, you can say, Um, which, which is like a bid is, you know, how much they're willing to buy a share of stock at like Apple or willing to buy it for a hundred. And then a, uh, an ask is how much they're willing to sell th- that same mm-hmm. stock for. So maybe I'll sell it for $100 and five cents. So I have a bid at 100 and an ask at 105 cents. So it's a five cent spread <laughs> there. You keep saying ass. <laughs> <laughs> ask with a K. Uh, maybe I should just say offer. <laughs> offer is another word for it. <laughs> so you got a big ass. <laughs> you hear what you want to hear. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So stock market would be so much more exciting when trying. <laughs> it's very hard to keep my concentration. Uh, so, Wait, so you have to have a big yeah, like for traditionally, you if you're a money, a if you're a market ass. maker, every day there are millions of big ass. <laughs> So you have to have you a, to be you, have the to have the same, you have to say, have the same you have to have the same number of both. Well, uh, yeah, you up. just have to like be there in the market to offer liquidity. So if somebody wants to buy or somebody wants to sell, there's always should be somebody there to oh, okay, give them yeah. one side or the other. And you can move them up and down as the market goes up, but you got to like keep them like 
reasonably there. Like, yeah. and, and so what happened over the years is like these high frequency traders came out and they out, out competed. Is that a word? Out competed the, uh, traditional mark money. Uh, I want to say, I keep saying money market mar- market makers. <laughs> Tongue twisters, man. <laughs> and, um, they, they kind of like went by the wayside and were replaced by these high frequency traders and these high frequency guys are like, hey, like we're much better. We trade much faster. We're much more sophisticated. Our computers, like, we'll make better markets and tighter spreads, and we'll, you know, we provide a lot of liquidity to the market. But the flash crash showed uh, when times are like panicky, these new market makers, which are the high frequency traders, they just stop trading. They just instead of having an, a bid and an ask. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, let's try. I can't, I can't help it now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be able to say that anymore. <laughs> Instead of having, you know, those two things, those two things, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just, well, they, they actually still had them, but they set them like super wide, basically. <laughs> <laughs> The, the spread. Yeah, so the spread was super wide. <laughs> no way you that you say this comes out okay. <laughs> See, the thing oh, is, I have already implanted it. into everybody's mind that is listening to this that every time you say that, you're just talking about oh, a butt. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's been spread super wide. Time. Spread super wide right now. Anyway. So, I love talking about butts. Yeah. So I think Apple, for instance, had a bid at like one cent and then an ask at like $100,000. And so huh? like they're willing to buy Apple at one cent and then sell it for like $100,000. Which basically means, Which basically means no one's going to do it. Yeah. Like if you take it, then great. And actually some of them got hit because other people who like other just normal, you know, investors who are placing sales or buys into the market accidentally bought at those prices because that's what it suddenly yeah. spread and super fast. Like everybody just went to the wayside and like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, so all the liquidity just dried up. And so one of the problems with high frequency trading is that in replacing the traditional market makers is that now maybe the liquidity that's there and you see most of the time is really like phantom liquidity. Cause when times get tough, it just disappears. And so, so that, that was a big issue. And, and that, was kind of um, a point in my my book is that something's got to be done to regulate these high frequency trade. If they're going to be the market makers now, then they maybe should have the same obligations that traditional market makers used to have. Yeah. So really quickly, I just want to do my best to explain this in thirty seconds or less um, because you used a lot of technical jargon, um, especially bid ask and. <laughs> widespreads. Yep. So, (laughs) but in essence, and Steve, if I'm like way off on something, let me know. But ultimately there's humans let computers run a lot of things due to the fact that they created these algorithms that they said, okay, they gave them certain rules to say, if this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do this. And that day, because of the triggering of the market, taking a dip anyway, uh, basically created this network-wide algorithm trigger 
And when one algorithm got triggered, it triggered another algorithm, which triggered another algorithm. And that's what kind of just ultimately caused everything to go haywire and out of control. And then ultimately, like you said, these high frequency traders, they decided just to shut down for the day and cut off the liquidity, which then caused more problems uh, in the market. Yes, that is correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good okay. job. Good job. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's just skip down to so like is high frequency and just you can keep this short, but is high frequency trading a bad thing in your opinion? It, I think some strategies are like the front running and the issues like the phantom liquidity, but there's other aspects of it that I think a lot of people agree have been good for the market. Like generally, you know, they provide liquidity, um, tighter spread, so that's been good. But there's still aspects that are not good. Okay. And then are they still around to this day? Because I know there's a lot of talk after the 2010 flash crash um, that they wanted to try and get it under control or at least control, like you said, the, the negative things, the fact that they could have, you know, just leave the market and leave phantom liquidity or or other negative things. Are there things that have been put in place that have kind of controlled those now and now high frequency traders are no longer an issue or are they still a problem? So, yeah. The, so there's been, I think new rules and regulations put in place that, that kind of help, um, and, and protect us from like a flash crash situation, like circuit breakers, which we don't have to get into, but basically like they'll halt the market for, you know, if, if it drops by a certain percentage, they'll halt the market so everybody can get like their heads screwed back on like so they don't panic so um, that shuts down the entire market at y- once yeah like yeah entire so in individual stocks and like the market as a whole i believe like certain percentage drops in a certain amount of time they'll just like freeze everything it's like a water break yeah water break <laughs> it's, <true. laughs> it's like a timeout yeah yeah it's like all right timeout, timeout guys <laughs> timeout we, <laughs> we don't want to have another uh you know Great Depression. <laughs> um, so we're just going to stop right now. So, so yeah, it, it's gotten better. And, and also I read that um, the prof, like competition always drives down profits, right? So y- you don't hear so much about high-frequency trading being an issue and like being this like huge industry that steals money from the everyday investor because I guess, you know, competition has made their profits smaller so now they're not stealing as much but it's still an issue they're still essentially front-running people and stealing money just not as much because competition has um because there's more thieves yeah it's like everyone's trying to compete against each other they get a smaller piece of the pie yeah Mm. um so and there was one other thing I, i can't remember if you talked about it in your book or if i read this somewhere else but basically the whole idea of having some kind of latency or delay um, in the market to force it. Cause I know part yeah. of this whole high frequency trading thing was not just about the connection itself, but it was an ability to get closer to like the stock exchange servers that were processing the orders. And therefore they were that much closer and that much faster at processing and making trades. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So did they ever implement something that would basically say like, okay, all trades that come in, we hold for one second or whatever, and that should give everyone, no matter what their connection is, the same opportunity to get there. And then at random, we will process those orders so that like there's not one person that always gets to be first. 
Yeah, so that was definitely proposed, and that's what I proposed in my papers as one fix, is to have like a mandatory batching of orders. So like all stock market orders that come in in like a one-second time period get batched together, and they have like an uh, an auction. I don't know if it's called like a Dutch auction or whatever, and match the trades, right? So every oh, the, the shortest like trading interval is like one second is, is the proposal instead of like – nanoseconds nanoseconds or or, yeah milliseconds um i don't think that was ever implemented although like by law that you had to do that but there are a couple of exchanges now um one of them is called the investors exchange that was started by brad katsuyama who's like the main character in the flash boys book so he ended up creating an exchange called the investors exchange because they were supposed to be you know on the investors side and not allow high frequency trading on their exchange, and so, so so that exists, and I think it's it's like growing and doing well. And then I think the New York Stock Exchange. I just read in preparation for this podcast, like somewhat recently, um, maybe doing something along those lines. But may, I don't know. That could be just a false article that I read. But yeah, never know. Okay. Well, I mean that was. That's good. I mean, one, just the final question for this and we can wrap it up. But so if Trav, I'm sure Trav, you have a 401k, right? Mm -hmm. So Trav has probably got some exposure to the market. Um, Should somebody like myself, like Trav, like you, any, I mean, just any person, normal person like us who don't have access to some kind of high frequency platform, uh, how should we feel about investing in the market? I mean, are we at a disadvantage at this point or is it, I mean, are we at least somewhat on a playing or even playing field and, and shouldn't worry too much about high frequency trading? So, um, Trav should just give me his money. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to tell you, okay. Cause Steve wants to buy a gerbil. I own one stock, one share of Groupon. <laughs> <laughs> I will sell and you can I want you to take that money and see what you can turn it into. <laughs> <laughs> it's like $3. This is a challenge. Yep. See what you can do. Uh, Start in the penny stocks. <laughs> I will do this because I'm interested and we will document it. You take my share. See. How much is that? Worth? I don't know. I haven't been on a, my Robinhood app in like forever. So <laughs> Wait, is that like the hey, free Robinhood? Is that the free stock? Yes, it's the free stock that I got, you got yep. from Robinhood. Robinhood Groupon. I never got share. my free one. Did somebody you recommend didn't? you? You don't. You can't yeah. just get one for signing on. Yeah, I, yeah. I got well, Zanga. I thought Alan recommended me. Don't, yeah. <laughs> okay. Did you? I don't know. Well, Trav, well, Groupon is worth three dollars and fifty cents. Okay. Okay. So that will be my challenge. It's your challenge. I'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> you can be my stockbroker. Okay. All right, All we right. done? I think that's it. If unless you have anything else to add to that, Steve. I'm sure no, he does. I, in, like, <laughs> no, I, but my serious answer was just gonna be like yeah, like I don't think individual investors have to worry too much about this. If you have a long term view, it's not really gonna matter too yeah. much. Sweet. Well thanks, Steve. Um I appreciate that. that's I mean, really honestly, that was really good insightful information um on way i mean put way better than i could have put it so thanks for thanks for helping and and sharing that information with us so but now let's get into the next question alan's question how would you react to the real life trolley problem 
Well, let's have some more make-believe as the trolley goes by the castle garden in the neighborhood of make-believe. Who's the one lady, the one puppet in <laughs> uh, Mr. Rogers that had like the big red nose? Like it was, it wasn't like a oh, red like, nose. Like the, it was like a rash. She was like the royalty? Yeah, no, she was like a rashy nose or whatever. She always scared me. I don't know why. I remember the king. She seemed like an angry woman. And I remember, wasn't there wasn't. like a prince? Yeah. Was she like a baker? I no, I think the queen. <laughs> I think the queen is who you're talking about. And she had like a old raspy voice. Like, yeah. Ah. I don't think she was the queen though. But anyway, all right. <laughs> we can go about that for, for a while too. Uh, so yes, Alan, why don't you explain what the trolley problem is? All right. Well, first, have have any of you before this did any of you guys know what the trolley problem even was? Yes. Yes. You, so you were familiar. And I only know about it because I watched The Good Place. And there's an episode ah. where it really talks about that. So, yeah, I was I, I was talking to someone at work about I was going to do this uh, on this episode, and they brought that up and showed it to me on YouTube, like a clip of that. I think I learned it on a show years ago called Brain Games. Did you guys ever watch that? It was like a document, like not yeah, a documentary. Yeah, I've seen that on like Netflix. A, well, it is on Netflix now, but I think anyway, it used to be on a we're not, different station. We. we <laughs> I've noticed we always go to like TV shows and movies and we go on tangents. And you for like wonder five why I choose the topics I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna shut that down right now. We're not going on a whole Netflix tangent. Um but if you don't know what the trolley problem is, and just I'm from Utah, I don't we don't have trolleys, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have tracks, Salt Lake. And we have Trolley the, Square, the train. which is uh, a shopping. So, shopping I, I don't like trolleys. Area. I'm not a trolley person, so I'm just going to say it's the train problem. All right. All right. So imagine you're standing on a hill over, uh, overseeing a set of train tracks, and a train is careening out of control, unable to stop. Uh, going down the track directly toward toward uh, five workers on the track that like have headphones on and their back is turned to the train so they have no idea that this train is coming. The train cannot stop. Um, you suddenly realize you're standing next to a switch that if you switch it, the train, it'll switch the train onto a different set of tracks uh, and miss the five people. But the caveat is... There is one worker on that set, on the second set of tracks that it will the train will hit and kill, um, and there's not you cannot warn them. The only control you have is to either switch to track two and kill the one person, or do nothing and let it kill the let the five, five people die. So that's the trolley, the train problem. It's um, interesting because you go through that whole thing and. Luckily, I mean, I know what the train, the train slash trolley problem is, but the only thing I could hear after you got to caveat was caveat. <laughs> and I know it's like caveat. I know it's like Cave- tomato, tomato, but yeah, like I always say caveat and so I got really hung more. up on that. <laughs> so I have my own problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an you understatement. For- <laughs> you have, you have <laughs> your own problems, <laughs> plural. Uh, 
as we've have we as we have found from reading various dreams of yours. <laughs> That's true. It's a beautiful mind. So, are you asking what what you would do in that situation? Well, so I'm going to ask you guys. You guys, obviously, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. You probably thought about it before. What would you do? Well, the problem is... And why? What's I mean, your reasoning for what you would do? These are just random people. Well, you've seen, if you've seen the episode of The Good Place where they go over this, he, <laughs> the, the main or the character that's, that's dealing with this situation, this ethical dilemma, goes through it over and over and over again, just killing people over and over <laughs> and over again. And he can't handle it because he, he's all about ethics and how there is usually you know, a right or wrong answer. But mm-hmm. really, when you're dealing with ethics, a lot of times there isn't, it's not it's as gray black area. and white, it's gray. And so basically what we're going to get out of this is there is no right or wrong answer because how can you say that the right way to do it is still going to kill somebody? Um, yes, if you do not uh, switch it and five people die, you're actually not doing anything physically to create the deaths of somebody, but you are not doing something to save. It's an act of omission. Yes, an act of omission. But if you do switch it, then you are the one that is pretty much in uh, to blame for the one death. So I mean, I I think if you thank you, Stephen, (laughs) if you take it from its most base logical standpoint, right? Like, so if you're taking out the emotion from it. And you just say flat out, you're making a decision between saving the lives of five people to give up the life of one. You have to do that as far as just yeah. from a very logical. If you look at it just as a numbers game. Yeah. You're saving five lives, taking one, but you're now plus four lives. I guess you could say it that way. Um but, and I'm sure what you're going to do next is we're going to go into a little bit, maybe even tweak the problem a little bit or whatever. Um to make it more of a difficult choice when it comes down to it. Cause we're not just uh, not like we're not robots, but there's, I was trying automatons. <laughs> Is that, <laughs> are you or just, autonomous but, beings? No, like or what? we are not automatons. <laughs> Is it automatons a word? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, like, but yeah, we have, there's more depth to us as human beings, we have uh, morals, we have feelings, we have emotions, we have all these different things that go into play that make it uh, more difficult than just a straightforward, logical, this is the answer. So yeah, that would be that. But yeah, do you want to go into the next portion of this? Are you assuming he has a next portion? What if he doesn't I, have yeah, a next portion? I, thought I would assume, but... <laughs> I have my whole outline right here, Danny. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I'm. I'm All right, <laughs> we'll do it. What you want to do? <laughs> okay. Is this, um, is this Danny's topic? So let me we already did this. your topic. No. <laughs> Steve, do you have a answer, quick answer to that scenario? Yeah, I think that's an easy case. <laughs> okay, says so the lawyer. <laughs> Go for the five people. So, no, <laughs> says the psychopathic lawyer. <laughs> so, you kill what, as many people as possible. Yes, what Travis was that talking. Means I get to cake on that many more cases. So, what Travis was talking about is, is you know, kind of correct. Is it's this? You're why do people 
think about this. Why is this even a, a thought experiment? And a thought experiment is just something that you can think about and imagine in your head and try and play it through. Um, it's because of those questions in like psychology and ethics and morality of what what exactly is morality? What's what is moral? What what should govern our ethics as human beings? Um, so that's why people even think about this philosophically. Um, and then, so you were talking, Danny, about different, like, tweaking the scenarios. And there are, you know, like, if you look it up, you'll, five minutes, you'll go through, like, all these different scenarios on YouTube that they'll show you. And I thought those were kind of boring because, you know, it really is just like, well, now swap out the one for, what if it's your kid? Now, what if the one, uh, and what if the one person is, like, a villain that, tied up the other five on the track are you going to be even more willing to kill that one like you want to now kill that one but so i actually thought of like this in my head like i was like i this is just like a very familiar thing that i know i have seen in different iterations my whole life in hollywood or pop culture. Mm -hmm. So I was like trying to think of different examples. I got one if you don't say it. Okay. So they might not be exactly the same, but they, they are like the type, the same type of like morality questions Mm -hmm. that this brings, that this uh, brings up. So you've seen infinity war, spoiler alert, uh, Thanos. He, uh, if they call it, do they call it the snapping? I think that's a term. <laughs> it's the snapping. Or the snap. He snaps, but so, I didn't know there was a name for it. So Thanos is the villain, and he his goal is to get all this Infinity Stones so he can kill half the population of the whole universe. And be, because I think they say that there, there aren't enough resources. Resources right? are yeah. limited. Everything's whatever. overpopulated, yeah. Really, it's just so, an economic question. We're not going to get into economics. <laughs> <laughs> so putting that into like a uh, form of the trolley problem or train problem, I just wrote, this is what Thanos is thinking. I can do nothing and let the entire population of the universe run out of resources and die, or I can snap away half the population and save the other half. So if you're Thanos, which is more moral, you know? Let everybody die or half the people die, but you're directly responsible for that. Uh, Is that a question for us? Well, you guys can chime in anytime you want with any comments you have. I think Thanos snapping is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Good, very good answer. Number one. Next next one, Alan. (laughs) Number one, like. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody knows for sure that the resources are going to for sure cause everyone to die. That's like speculation. So you're just speculating there. So I don't think you should kill half the, the like universe on a speculation. Like, yeah, new technology comes out and you're able to feed more people. Like, so, so you're saying he should have prepared a better presentation to the universe of like, guys. This is my evidence. Yeah, I think you need like that. If you can snap your finger and kill half the population, why don't you snap the finger and create more food and resources? I haven't thought about that. 
That would, that that's, would be good. That's a good point, Trav. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. What? Thanos I have the thoughts. Take like Dang the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the more Christian route and like, wasn't it Jesus that had manna fall from the sky? <laughs> well, he could turn well, water into wine. He yeah. multiplied the, the fishes and the, uh, teach a man to fish and, <laughs> and the leaven, whatever. Is that what it says in the Bible? He multiplied the fishes. He multiplied yeah. the fishes. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. But I think to Steve's point too, um, quickly is just, yes. Yeah, so if Thanos, there's no way you can know for sure. Like how does he know that everyone's going to die? Cause what if, yes, maybe there's a limited amount of resources, but what if, 49% of the people die off because of a lack of resources, but then there's 51% that are still able to then, oh, there's enough resources mm-hmm. for them. So now you've actually saved the 1% of lives that got snapped away. See, so this is interesting because, so now what you guys are saying is that it's immoral if you are not 100% sure those five people are going to die. It's immoral to switch the track to kill the one person. Wait. Only if you are 100% sure the train is going to kill all five of those people, you would switch. Well, but do you know for sure that it's not going to kill that one person? Not 90%. Yes, for sure it's going to kill the one person. But you don't know for sure it'll kill the five. No, that's so now I'm saying, because you guys just said if Thanos is not sure that in this other scenario, this is what you guys are saying. So I'm saying, I'm saying now applying what you guys just said about Thanos to the actual trolley problem. What you're saying is, you have to be 100% sure, not 99% sure, 100% sure that all five of the people are going to die or you will not. So well, if you're 50% right. sure, I then think you know it, like 2.5 people yeah, are going to die that's exactly on average. It. Like I think the way Steve and I think, it becomes a probability problem. All right. Uh, <laughs> if you're 99% sure, then you have to look at it that 4.95 people are going to yeah. die. Well, you know, the train is going like a million miles an hour, and you guys don't have time to sit there and analyze it. You just got to yeah, that's true. decision. This is- but who would tell us then that there's a possible chance that these people would die nobody five. this is your decision Steve. well then how do we know for sure that the one person would die you don't you don't get any more information than what i've told you steve i know but how That's do i know that that one person will for sure die this okay. is why because they're tied up on the track so give they, us they give us the survive they're tied up on the track the train will hit them there is a bomb on the train. It will explode simultaneously. If the train and- goes over 55 <laughs> miles an hour, the bomb sets. If it drops below, the bomb goes off. <laughs> so stay right. above 50. Well, Five. <laughs> should I just go on to the next example I have? Yes. Yeah. All right. And this isn't, sorry, not all of them are pop culture. This one's out of history. So World War II. We can, and we as the United States, we can either continue fighting the war the way we have been um, with Japan, or and it will probably end with an invasion of mainland Japan, resulting in the deaths of millions on both sides. Or we can drop a couple of atom bombs, killing a few hundred thousand Japanese civilians in a great show of force to end the war now. Well, Any we comments? Know what happened? <laughs> 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 so uh, was it was that a moral decision was that ethical to make the decision to drop the bomb if, if you were in Japan at the time you'd probably say no yeah 
Well, anyways, I, I don't really want to talk about this because it's one American here against three Japanese. So <laughs> I <laughs> really don't Actually, think no, it's, like just, it's two and a half Americans against one and a half Japanese. Okay. So you're still in the majority. All don't, right. Don't thank you. Fret. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, see, this is where it gets difficult. And this is why this is such an interesting problem or or concept is because any variable will change any, yeah because you can go into it and be like again you can come down to the the simple math like okay there's a couple thousand people that will die or there's potentially millions that could die and you can use the same thing like there's not a hundred percent probability that millions of people do that will die but there's probably pretty close to 100 percent probability that a couple thousand will die if you drop atom bombs on them so but then the bigger question goes you have to like zoom out from the problem because in a vacuum, if you isolate it to just those two variables, then yes, you have to be like, okay, you have to just kill the few thousand people in hopes of saving millions of lives. But introdu- introducing the atom bomb itself, the whole creation of nuclear weapons is its own ethical issue and its own problem. Because now you have something that can not only hurt thousands of people, but could potentially wipe out humanity off the face of the universe yeah yeah that's very true <laughs> where do we go from here <laughs> so that's even I, I think the whole thing is, is yeah. and you know I'm not gonna go into it a lot but obviously we can take every single situation and you can add one more element to it and it creates a whole different way of thinking but I think that's kind of the whole point of the trolley problem is just that in its simplest form, you might think you know what you would do, but then you start adding these different things, different ideas, different thoughts, and there is no right or wrong yeah, answer. Yeah, it basically becomes like infinite possibilities yeah. again. Like you you can change it up an infinite amount of ways and and, it, it, and it'll change dare i say it's an and I think infinity war it'll change <laughs> how you think about it morally or <laughs> I, it took me a second to get that one <laughs> that, was a, that was a good pause or good uh, but anyway but so um we don't have to talk about all these i just had a few more examples that i'll just really quick so the prime directive you know what that is in star trek Yep. No, Where so the Prime Directive, also known as Non-Interference Directive, is a directive or a guiding principle of Starfleet prohibiting its members from interfering with internal and natural development of alien civilizations. Uh, the Prime Directive applies particularly to civilizations which are below a certain threshold of technology, scientific, and cultural development, preventing starship crews from using their superior technology to impose their own values or ideals on them. So, in in one of the Star Trek movies, Captain Kirk and crew, they have to decide, do they break the Prime Directive and use their superior knowledge and technology to stop a volcano from wiping out a primitive alien civilization or do they break the prime directive and whatever the consequences of the future universe are, they have to live with that. Uh, real quick, you could go back in time and kill Hitler um, or you can either let history and present stand as it is or you can go back in time and kill Hitler 
And then you have to live with any consequences of how that changes in the future. Have you seen Back to the Future, Alan? <laughs> yep. That's all I'm going to say. And the, la- the, the last one, this one might be political, but I call it the lesser of two political evils scenario. So I can either go out and cast my vote for candidate A, who I think is evil, but not as evil as candidate B, and try to stop the greater of the two evils from coming to power, or I can withhold my vote and keep a clear conscience because I didn't vote for either of the evil candidates. But with this, the caveat of, er, but with the caveat of knowing I didn't do anything to prevent the greater evil from being elected, should the more evil candidate win? You talking about this last election? So, no, I was talking about the. I'm sorry, I of didn't. Lincoln. I didn't hear anything past. Caveat. <laughs> Shut up! I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyways, so that is the trolley problem, um, and my conclusion about like whether I I would pull pull the lever or not. Uh, I don't know, and I came to the same <laughs> same conclusion as Travis and all you guys. It's just a gray area. It's not black and white. You cannot just say yes or no so um have you guys so, ever seen matt like mash did you ever watch watch mash the yeah. show yes like i was not a big fan of mash um that goes back to just kind of a troubled childhood where every time the mash song came on that meant it was bedtime oh so i hated it but <laughs> it's ptsd yeah it's like nah, 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 nah. i was like no <laughs> But <laughs> I was having a discussion with a friend of mine a few years ago, actually, but he brought up MASH and he said there's an episode, and I don't know if you know this one out, Trav, if you watched it, but there's an episode where they're all having to huddle and hide from the enemy like in a room or I don't know if it was like under under a building or where they were, but they were trying to be really quiet, but the one of the women in there had a baby. And she, the baby started making noise, like crying. And so she had to make the decision between stopping the baby from crying. By smothering it? Yeah. Or letting the baby cry, but then all of the people, including the baby in that room. Was this was on MASH? Yeah. MASH was a, a comedy. comedy. <laughs> it's like a sitcom. <laughs> I know. I, I, that's what I thought too. But he was like, this is like a really actually like dark uh, segment of the show that like they put in there. Um, and I think I, I, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I think in the end, like it was super sad because she ended up smothering her own child. And, and, but that saved the lives of everyone in that room. I just like look around everybody like, sorry guys, we're going to (laughs) die. But yeah, like I don't, that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I think someone would have to kill me first and then go from there. Yeah. So, so should have booked it out of there. Just so night to move on. 90% of all people surveyed, um, say that they would pull the lever and do kill kill the the one. one, kill the one. Um, but that brings up another question. That's what people say they would do. People always want really to. People always say they would do the altruistic thing in a hypothetical situation. What would they really do? Uh, how should we actually conduct real experiments? Well, not real, as in people are actually going to die, but 
make people believe that the situation is really happening um, and actually force them to choose in that moment. And that's so actually kind of what the whole episode was about is because uh, on The Good Place um, is just because he talked about it as if like he knew what he would do. And so they kept putting him in the situation. And then oh, finally yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end, he, he, he admitted, he's like, okay, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I've done all different scenarios and I don't like any of them. Yeah. So, but anyway. So what do you, do you guys think we should actually conduct experiments? And cause this could mess somebody up psychologically if they actually, you know, whether it's fake or not, we make them think but what's it's real the value the of knowing what people would do. So I'm glad you asked that. Cause I, uh, thought of that. I was like, I was like, why, why should we, um, I think the benefits I think would be you, you would really gain an understanding of people's values. What do they really actually value? You could test, uh, re- you could test relationships, you know, if it's, so you would have your control of just everybody's a stranger. Then you could test if it was five people against a, your child or five people against somebody you know or five people against uh, an Asian person, five white people against an Asian person, <laughs> five Asians against two black people, whatever. You could figure out where people actually in real life value other people, other relationships – and then you could start working on social problems in our societies. You could start fixing these these difficulties that we have. I think getting along because it's just we like a really very no because every because you ask somebody do you hate Asians, they're gonna say no. You know, you're, you, they don't want to say oh yeah. I really What's do. the value of testing that one person? But, so you're not gonna get you're, you're gonna get ninety percent of all real racist people saying I'm not racist. This is just a darker version of Ashton Kutcher's <laughs> so, punked. So what I'm saying <laughs> is kidding. you could you could ha- there would be tremendous value for our for social aspects. Yeah, I mean, if you could get at the truth of I think, what people psychologically how what people think about different relationships. Yeah. I think what I think you that that in itself has its own flaw because yes, it, I, I understand what you're saying from an overall aspect of like if it could help society make better decisions or figure out better, more accurate data, then we can use that information. But the problem is you're gonna get such a wide spectrum of data back from that because if you pull a hundred people, four of them maybe are are racist. Seven of them don't like their own family member. Like it's just there's just this huge spectrum of things, but it doesn't say necessarily as a whole what's wrong with the society because everyone in society is not going to not like Asians or you know. So I think that becomes its own. Well, I know you could problem. You could get a real. <laughs> Never mind. You could get a real handle on the real the real percentages of of these 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 relationships. I think there's yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um, I think there's better ways to do it. Um, Just go to the KKK rally and count. You could say you could say. (laughs) I mean, obviously, you ask a hundred people. Ninety nine percent of them are probably not going to be like, yeah, uh, homeless people are not as good as just like people with homes. 
or whatever. They're, you know, people are, aren't going to say they look down on homeless people. What if you could do an experiment where you have a homeless person on the one track and somehow have a control where you know you can really test which one do they value more? Do they really value them equally? Yeah. I mean, I think at this point Never. we should start wrapping it up. But yes, I understand what you're saying, Alan. But they've also done this experiment in other ways um, that aren't wouldn't be so traumatic to people and or expose them for certain things. But they've done an experiment on that brain games thing where they dress somebody up like in nice work clothes and then had him fall on the ground and see who would help pick him up. And like immediately, almost every time, like somebody would go, Oh shoot. Like I want to go help this guy. But then all they did is change it so that he like was a little disheveled looking like his shirt was untucked and stuff, but he was holding a Brown paper bag with like a, but it was just really a water, but so they just did that and had him lay down on the ground and no one went to help him for like 30 minutes. So yes, like there's already those stereotypes out there and against people who think like, Oh, that person's just a drunk or that person's just homeless or whatever. And yes, it sadly, it does exist. Cool. Okay. Trav, why don't we get into a little bit more uplifting or maybe it's not so uplifting because <laughs> the movie suck is what you said. <laughs> But was that not uplifting? <laughs> it it was. <laughs> I like how you guys get so nervous around like any social discussion. So deep. I was like, nervous. <laughs> I don't think it was. We're, we were literally. Was, this is a whole. That's what the trolley problem is about: is morality, ethics, all that stuff. That's like you cannot talk about that with. Like I honestly couldn't talk about it without getting into some deeper stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was a good... I understand this is a podcast. We try to keep it lighter, I th- but... I think it was a good conversation. I'm I'm not saying that at all, but I think in the end, we've kind of, we were starting to hash the same question over and over Beating again. Beating a dead horse, yeah. maybe. That's all, Al. It wasn't anything against the fact that, like, it wasn't... A, I thought it was very interesting, and I would be more than happy to talk to you for another two hours on this after the podcast but. i do not i will be going home and going to sleep <laughs> yeah, i'll but, be asleep too but yeah let's, let's i don't want to talk about that bad let's but, talk about some some movies so trav's question <laughs> why do video game movies suck <sighs> uplifting music it's like just means you did something good you beat a level jumped up and touched a flagpole for some weird reason. <laughs> I don't know. What that, you know, I'm not going to question just what it. that, he, yeah, he I mean, grabs he it and pulls the flag. the flag down. And he, yep, all the way and then goes into a castle and then goes into another one. Wasn't there a thing, though, like if you could jump over the flagpole? I think that is a complete and total lie. I don't know. I don't know. We could probably I look at it, it on, either. I've never done it either, because I swear every time I got even closer than I thought that it would, it would just automatically grab it grab it and just you know throw it down but anyway i wanted to talk about this uh, i had another topic planned um and i guess it's probably a pretty good idea that i did not do this because <laughs> i can i can go through this uh topic fairly quickly um but if you are a a movie goer and maybe uh born sometime in the uh 
mid to late 80s and had a Sega Genesis, uh, you might be familiar with a little character by the name of Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, big thing has been going on in that world. Uh, I don't know. Have you guys seen the, the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer for the new movie coming out no yes somebody I told me it. that sonic looked ridiculous so by the name of trav cole i, think I did is it like I an animated movie or? no it's live action Ooh. it's a live action uh eggman or dr robotnik or whatever you want to call him uh is played by jim carrey and uh so in the trailer i mean it was this big thing i'm not huge into sonic but anyway um you know, there was this big outrage from Sonic fans uh, because of how horrendous the design of the iconic character was. Um, but the, because of that, the film the film was originally due to release in, in November, but has now been pushed back to Valentine's Day 2020 because they're going to go back because of the outrage and redesign this character and, and re-release it. And some of the issues that have been discussed are things like the fact that uh, when you look at them, I mean, they... The two characters from the the video game and, and cartoons to this do not look the same at all. His eyes are all messed up. Uh, they're not connected. I, I mean, I guess in the game, his eyes are his eyes are all connected, but um, he's got these long, skinny ass legs, like human legs. <laughs> and uh, and then he also has human like teeth that apparently people freaked out about. So. You know, things like that might be ticky tacky, but it's so, important to people. Is there actually pictures of this then? Or oh yeah, yeah, you can see it. Um, and uh, you know, things like this may be ticky tacky to some people. It's very important yeah. for those fans that they get it right. Um, I personally don't care. Yeah, I do think he looked weird, but I don't think he's going to make by changing him is going to make the movie any better. I'm fairly certain it's going to yeah. flop. The uh, the critics are going to hate it, um, and it's just going to fall by the wayside with all of the other video game movies that have been released. Um, so a little history on myself. I'm nearly 35 years old. Steven here will be 35 tomorrow. Happy yeah. birthday. Happy birthday, Steve. It's an hour away from my birthday. Yep. <laughs> so, well, you know what? Maybe I will just keep pushing and we can sing a happy birthday <laughs> on this. It's okay. So, we'll go for another hour. Um, so, I'm nearly 35 years old and been on this planet the whole time. Not an alien. Uh, I remember getting my first gaming console, which was the Nintendo Entertainment System. In fact, Super Mario Brothers was the first game that I remember playing, uh, along with uh, various others. Um, wanted to tell you guys a quick joke, though, about Mario. About Mario. About Mario. So, and I cannot take credit for this. I heard it somewhere. So if it's not funny, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> I only take credit if it's funny. But what material is Mario's overalls made out of corduroy anybody else um denim that is correct but you said it wrong it's denim 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 oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's moments like that that i wish i had a stuttering problem because <laughs> then i would have been right by because 
if I would have had thirty six years worth of stuttering, I would have gotten one joke. Correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it would be worth dun, it. Dun, dun, dun. Would it be worth it at this moment? <laughs> but uh, from Nintendo. I moved on to Sega, where I loved playing games such as Sonic the Hedgehog and Street Fighter. Uh, for Christmas one year, I received the short-lived Sega CD that introduced me to the wonderful, gory world of Mortal Kombat. Mm. Um, in 1996, I was introduced to my gaming future as my parents gifted uh, my siblings and I a PlayStation Generation 1. Uh, and have never looked back. I've had a PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, and as soon as the PlayStation 5 comes out, I'm sure I will be getting that as well. Um, uh, again, I gave Alan a little bit of a hard time on this, and I don't know what it is with me today, but <laughs> just I got stuck now on you saying you were introduced, and I just picture in my head that like you walk up, you're like, Hi, PlayStation. How are you? And it's like, hi, Trav. <laughs> this is really... <laughs> what you are, yeah, you are getting hung up on little tiny things here. Um, but I've spent countless hours playing classics like Tomb Raider, Prince of Persia. Um, as the games became more advanced, I found myself enjoying more in-depth story-based games such as Unchart- the Uncharted series, The Last of Us, and the Assassin's Creed games. Um, so in my years... Of ex- and experience, I have yet to find a movie adaptation of a video game that does the game justice. Now, that's not to say I don't like some game or some some movies that have been been uh, released, but let's uh, take a look real quick at some games that have been turned into movies, just to remind us of how sucky this has been in our whole lifetimes. <laughs> so, uh, and and this is off of a list from. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, top 41. Now, I'm not naming 41. I only have eight here uh, because these are the ones that games that I definitely played and movies that I've definitely seen. So, uh, number one, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, released in 1997, has a 2% rating. Hor- on, the, on the tomato meter. On the tomato meter. Uh, prob- I think right now is currently rated the worst of all video game movies. And I pretty much agree. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but Mortal Kombat Annihilation was a horrible, horrible letdown. And I believe all of you, I mean, because I remember us going to see Spawn because this was back in the day before um, you could just go online and just Google when is Mortal Kombat 2 coming out. You know, so we just kept assuming like, oh, we see a movie like Spawn and we're like, I bet you Mortal Kombat 2's trailer would be in that. So (laughs) (laughs) let's go see that. Um, So yeah, it's uh, considered the worst of everything and I I agree. So just to tell you a little bit on that, Trav, um, because I was talking to Trav earlier, but basically what I did is I went through... Uh, 37 different um, movies that were adapted from video games from 1993 through 2019. And I took both the IMDB ratings and the tomato meter ratings. And then I created a hybrid score between the two of them. So Trav's yes, Trav saying that tomato meter had 2% on mortal Kombat annihilation. IMDB had a 3.7 rating out of 10, for that one. So overall, out of those 37 movies, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, according to my hybrid score, ranked the fourth lowest. Oh, okay. So, side note. Side note. So it's not the worst. Well, just according to my hybrid score. What is your worst? 
uh, House of the Dead okay. that came out in 2003. Yeah, it's not on my list because I haven't seen it. <laughs> and I also haven't played it. Um, number two, Street Fighter, 1997 as well, 11%. Uh, this is the one with the muscles Van Damme. from Brussels, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, is he still around? Yeah, he's still around. Is he still acting? JCVD. Yeah, he was in an Amazon series not too long ago that was actually, yeah. it was okay, but he played himself. I really like John. He, his yeah. his new roles are basically him playing himself <laughs> in things. So <laughs> Kind of like in Friends? <laughs> yep, basically. Um, the sad thing about Street Fighter is that uh, the guy who played, um, oh crap. Giles. No, the, the bad guy. Uh, I know his real name, but is it M. Bison? Or whatever, uh, Raúl Julia, who oh, was, like, who was, was that also, the Russian, yeah, character. N- well, no, 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 no. He's he's the just the main bad guy. I, I can't oh. remember his name right now. But uh, Raúl Julia is the actor um, who played him, and he is uh, holy crap, Adam's family dad. <laughs> the guy oh, who that plays, was the yeah, guy? that's yeah, him. That's right. I so oh, yeah, yeah. the sad thing about that is that Raúl Julia literally postponed his death to finish this movie. And I know that sounds weird, but he had terminal cancer and did his very best to finish this film. And then he died and he gets 11%. (laughs) So sad. Um, Number three, Assassin's Creed from 2016 had 18%. I fell asleep and that's all I'll say about that one. Um, Tomb Raiders, Angelina's Jolie's Tomb Raiders, uh, both got 20 and 25%. They're both plotless action cash grabs. Uh, number five is probably the hardest for me. Super Mario Brothers, 1993. At the time, uh, I was fine with it because I was in third grade, but uh, this one really hurts. Um, Dennis Hopper, uh, who plays King Koopa, yeah. uh, actually, in my opinion, plays a great President Trump uh, in that film because he looks exactly like him. Um, <laughs> and nobody knows what the freak the Goombas were in that movie. I mean, like, we know what Goombas are in the game. They're like little mushroom dudes. Yeah, but they were, was, like, they were like hybrid dinosaur tie. guys. They had like massive bodies with these tiny little heads. They looked like that that yeah. voodoo guy or, or that the shrunken, head. shrunken head guy on Beetlejuice. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, number six, Prince of Persia in 2010. Now you're starting to get up to where like it's they're they're rated a little bit higher. They're still crap, but they're just better crap. Uh, so 37. percent It was fun to watch, but it lacked a good meaningful storyline. And then number seven, probably the best one of all in I think all of our opinion, uh, which is Mortal Kombat, the, uh, original. the original 1995. 46. This one holds a special place in all of our hearts. Um, just to let everybody know, we, uh, in our youth, decided that we were going to try and recreate this movie <laughs> word for word, shot for shot, moment for moment, <laughs> and a little sound effect for sound order at, a, at home. The biggest copyright infringement you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we basically would just watch a scene and then we would try and hurry and memorize like all the words and, and we'd play each character like 
Steve I was, played Liu Kang. Steve was Liu Kang. I, I was, was Johnny Cage. Who was I? You were the dude with the <laughs> oh, thing yeah. on his eye. K- no, that was Alan. Alan was Kano. No. No, I was Shang Tsung. He was Shang Tsung. Oh, you were, you were of Kano. Course, of course they made me the villain. Yeah, you were Shang Tsung. Because we had the oh, trench coat on. I was then. Kano, but then I was also every other masked bad guy, which was like <laughs> Scorpion, Sub-Zero, <laughs> Reptile, because I had this work mask that could kind of looked like their mask. <laughs> So, but uh, anyway, it was, we, I think we only got like a few minutes into it because yeah. we, we couldn't, technology back then, if we messed up, we had to rewind the video and then try and stop it like yeah. right at the perfect time. So there's so. a lot of like brief seconds of like a previous scene <laughs> of that just we us just laughing. Was yeah. And I can't tell you how many times we could not get through a scene without laughing. So, well, uh, we would make bone, bone crushing noises with pieces with of paper, piece of that paper. Crush, and then we didn't have a switchblade because we couldn't afford one. So, so had Alan a had knife. a butter knife that he hid in his trench coat jacket that he would flip up at the same time I would be in the background and I would cling together two more butter knives. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, ching! Yep. Uh, <laughs> the special effects were amazing. <laughs> um, and then number eight was the uh, most recent Tomb Raider in 2018. That and then Rampage with, uh, with The Rock. The Rock. Are the only two that have over 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 52. Now, you can argue that the new Detective Pikachu is a... Well, I mean, I guess technically it is an adaptation from a movie or from a game, which is a Game Boy game uh, called Detective Pikachu. But that got 66%. But I think that all Pikachu movies are not like... Like Pokemon movies, you mean? Or, yeah, Pokemon, not Pikachu. Yeah. All Pokemon movies shouldn't be counted. But anyway, so that's that. Now, uh, to end things, because uh, I, I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a dive in and see what the real issue is. Um, I mean, I have my assumptions, but after I kind of went through this exercise, kind of started feeling bad for all the people trying to make video game adaptations. So um, let's, let's play a game. I want to play a game. Yes, I do. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to ask you guys four questions, and I'll give you the answers. And after you, you ask, or you ask, <laughs> after you ask. Jeez. <laughs> kind of rude today, Trev. <laughs> after you answer them. All right. So, uh, question number one. Which aspect is more important in a movie when you're talking about a video game adaptation to the screen behind the scenes crew or a talented on-screen cast behind the scenes crew behind the scenes crew i would say behind the scenes if they're like in charge of all the wardrobe and yeah making all it, of those yeah, yeah like the storyline and the details and everything to create to make the world kind of come alive okay so it's kind of a trick question it's not necessarily either it's more of a balance between the two so um examples uh are basically like prince of persia which had a high production value and a noteworthy and a noteworthy cast uh jake gyllenhaal uh, was in that but it still kind of flopped because it was just more more of the the value of the actor than it was anything else um so okay question two what kind of game story? So when you're looking at a game that you want to adapt to a movie, what type of game story would you pick? Would you pick more of an interactive story or a simple concept? Hmm. Interactive. 
So, uh, so if you were to like, what? So if you're taking any game, you want a game that's either really detailed and in depth, or just like, so maybe like Mario would be simple, mm-hmm. but Assassin's Creed would be more in depth. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say the more in depth, detailed one. Do you have an answer? I would say. Do you even care? (laughs) I would say in depth. Because then you have like potential for sequels and stuff. All right. Another trick question here. I was going to say then. Both. Then what is the movie really doing other than just copying everything that the game did? I mean, I can tell you what you need to kind of more stay away from is probably more of the more simple concepts. Um, but you also want to stay away from the more in-depth concepts. So, for example, you have Warcraft that came out in 2016. Didn't you like Warcraft, Alan? Or is that Starcraft? You like Starcraft. I used to play Starcraft. Okay. So you played one of those craft games. I never played the world <laughs> of Warcraft. So Warcraft is a game that you could literally spend hours and hours. We're talking like up to 100 plus hours of gameplay to try and take that storyline and that just all that stuff and combine it and, and compress it down into a two hour movie is mm-hmm. you're going to lose a lot from that. Yeah. But then you could take something such as the need for speed, which came out in 2014. The game need for speed is literally a car racing game. That is it. You race cars. There are no characters really. There's, there's no point to it. But race the cars. I've never and win. played Need for Speed, so it's just actually like it's not like. I mean, I'm sure. You never, what's the one uh, Gran Turismo? No, GT. Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto, where there's you were ru- driving around, but you're actually like trying to like, yeah, that's that do one. other things, right? Mm-hmm. But Need for Speed is it just literally like yeah, a track you're just, game, like yeah. you just yeah. go around a track or whatever? yeah, okay, pretty much. And they made a movie about that, and the problem was is that there was no storyline to begin with, so they had to make one up. The other one was there was too much storyline and they had to compress it. So you want to make sure that you are getting getting right in between there. The um, Fast and Furious was is not a game, <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the same uh, concept? I guess, but, but they no, were able to, because they didn't play. They the didn't game play first. the game. Yeah, I mean, there might be a game now, but they <laughs> probably adapted that from the movie, and that game probably sucks. So. Um, Okay, let's go to question number three. So let's say you find the perfect game. How do you want to adapt it? Do you want to stick closely to the game script or get more creative? It depends on if it's like a in-depth game or a simple game. If it's a simple game, you want to get more creative for a movie, obviously. If it's a super in-depth game, you want to try and hold true to as much as possible, but make it, you know entertaining for two hours i'm gonna go with <laughs> this is a trick question it's a little bit of both you guessed it <laughs> damn it i would second alan's answer gotcha gotcha <laughs> again so examples of this uh so you stick too close uh to the material and you get something that happened like assassin's creed i think they tried to really stay close to that uh to the concept of the game, but those concepts really only work in the game. When they try and translate them to, to the movie screen, it just fell apart and nobody really cared. Um, or if you stray too far from the original storyline, then you get something 
the unfortunate situation like Super Mario Brothers. You watch that movie, it has nothing to do with anything. They have some similar characters, like at least the names, but, you know, there was, I don't know. It was just super stupid, and I'm very mad. So, finally, and and, and not really a question, uh, but this was in the article that I read, uh, but a lot of video games are interactive anyway, where you get to be the protagonist, which doesn't exactly translate to movie screens. So that's another reason. Like if they're picking something where you're pretty much the one that's playing it and you're the you're the the main character, it's not gonna yeah. be that easy to to translate. And I don't have an example of where that is, but it's like Doom? Yeah, actually. Doom. Doom is a perfect example mm. uh with the rock. Yeah. First person shooter, right? Yeah, first person shooters where you are the one that's that's doing all that. And I think like Hitman and things like that, although well, like no. I think at Doom, like they try to make it look like first person shooter at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah by putting did. the camera angle, like where you just see the gun. Yeah. But yeah, I I agree. It doesn't really have the same effect if you're now, not playing the in game. the future with how virtual reality is going. It might get to a point to where hey, you can go and watch a movie where you can pretty much insert yourself there. But that's who knows. We we're not even going to talk about that. So there's a lot of things after like. Going through all of this, I actually now kind of understand why we have so many crappy movies <laughs> that, that come from... Because it's hard. Because it is. There's a lot of rules that yeah. you have to try and follow, and I think people get a little too cute. I mean, in, my, in the perfect world, I say stick as close to the storyline as possible, uh, because when you get too crazy with it, you're getting away from what people loved about the game anyway. Um, but stick pretty close to it, but you know, don't but get a little creative, yeah. <laughs> I guess. So that's that's pretty much it for for that. Um, I do have one last thing that I want to mention, and then that is, I vote that they redo Super Mario Brothers. So me too. Wait, who I think was, it's about who was in Super Mario Brothers other than the Koopa? It was uh, Bob actors? Hoskins and John Leguizamo. That's who it was, John Leguizamo. So. They should. Uh, but- have the new one released in 2023 and then it'll be like the 30th anniversary since the original came out in 1993. You know what movie I did like that a lot of people didn't and it wasn't exactly from a game to a movie but Pixel. Pixels? Oh, did you I heard this Adam Sandler? I heard that was pretty bad. I never what? saw it though. <laughs> I like Everybody I hated it. it. <laughs> My kids like it. It's good. It, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It's for the kids. Little kids like it. And well, Alan. <laughs> and Alan. <laughs> well, I mean, we, it has its moments that are okay, but for the most part, it's not a great movie in my opinion. But Well, I, Trav, I'll pose this question to you, but do you think there's been more success going from movies to successful games? I was going to put that in there, but I knew that uh, I probably wouldn't have time okay, to talk about mind. that. But okay. I would say that it is probably fairly even. Uh, because I think that, like, uh, like for example, one of them I was going to throw out there was, remember uh, The Matrix when that came out? And they came out with a game uh, that was called, like, Enter the Matrix. And you didn't even get to play Neo. You got to play that one Asian dude, and I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's rude. Him and then uh, Wait, which Jada, Asian Jada Asian Pinkett Smith. That's the whole point. You don't even know who it is because he's this side character in the second film. And... Mm. It's so you you didn't even get to play the people that you wanted to play. Yeah, 
and which was very annoying to me because I was super excited when they came out with that. And I wonder if that was like a contractual rights issue, like where they couldn't quite. And it might have been because yeah, that would be the only way I would explain like why you can't play the main characters is if they couldn't get the rights. But I guess my point is, is if you can't do it right, then why do it? Yeah. But anyway, so, so Trav, just really quick. So basically, here's just my quick 60-second theory on this whole thing. Now that you've gone through that whole thing and it's blatantly clear why it's so difficult to do it. Um, But like I said, I put together uh, that list of 37 different movies that have been adapted from video games since 1993. This is not all of them, but this is a lot. Most of the big big names, the movies that made it into theaters, Mm -hmm. right? So in going through it, yes – they're for the most part bad or had bad ratings, both on IMDb and uh, in the tomato meter. But overall, when I graph them all out, no matter which, if I take them isolated, just the IMDb ratings or the tomato meter ratings or my hybrid score rating, there is a slight trend line or correlation between that, that moves in an upward angle, which means that the movies are getting rated slowly over time better and better. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I'm thinking it was just such a young industry, video games itself. Anyway, they started making movies. They've, they sucked at it and then they've tried improving on it and they're starting to figure things out, uh, such as the things that you went over today. So I think like one of the things is like some of the biggest, most popular movies in recent history are, based on books Mm -hmm. books have been around for a long long time so movie studios have probably been recreating books into movies for a long time for a hundred years now but video games they've only been able to do that for the last 25 30 years yeah so now they're just slowly getting there and so perhaps 10 years from now video game movies will actually be some of the best movies well and that's what i'm hoping and in fact in my notes i said don't stop just keep making them they might keep sucking until all of a sudden they don't. So they get the formula right. Yeah. So, I mean, because I would like to see a lot of, you know, my favorite games being, you know, made into, into movies. So, yeah, I don't know if there are plans, but I just started playing Hearthstone again last week and it's addicting because I used to play it. Do you guys know Hearthstone? Yeah. I've heard of it. The, like the card, Danny the one who introduced game. it to me. Yeah, it's like it's almost kind of like I think magic, whatever, with the cards, mm-hmm. but on the online, whatever. Um, yeah, this last week I've been obsessed with it again. I just played one hand and then I was like, I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> so good luck. If making, somehow they make a movie out of good it. Good luck making a movie out of that, though. That's. I mean, I guess you could, you could do it, but you'd have to really take liberties. Yeah. Um, and just because it would be boring to watch a movie that was like <laughs> playing cards. <laughs> uh, uh, Rounders is like your favorite movie. Well, I don't watch yeah. the playing cards. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we've obviously gone really long. So if you have to listen to this in, uh, in bits. <laughs> You know, you could probably break this up and listen to it throughout the whole week. And then uh, when you get done, we'll have another one available to you. So um, just want a reminder that we have our bonus episodes, our dream episodes that come out on Mondays. So we will have one of those uh, coming out dream, here in just a dream, few, dream episode, episode number, number five. five. Yep. 
Um, so make sure to catch that. Um, subscribe wherever you can subscribe to our podcast, uh, which is available on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and of course YouTube, which we do not want to forget that uh, is uh, apparently something that a lot of people like to listen to podcasts on. Um, and then go to our website. Uh, if you have any comments uh, other than make it shorter, um, go to our website and uh, and let us know what you think on any of these podcast or any of these topics. Like, what would you do in the trolley pro- or problem? Um, anything else that you want to know about high frequency trading? And then, of course, if there's anything that I forgot as far as uh, you know, any movies that you've seen that have been adapted from video games uh, that you actually liked or, or disliked, let us let us know. Yeah, and Alan, we, we Alan and Steve have made it really easy on the website too. You can yeah, I was gonna say comment that. right on the episode page itself, or Steve has built in a uh, Facebook Messenger uh, portion that you can just click on, and it'll you can automatically also, message. And us now you right can also Facebook. leave us a voice comment. On yep, Alan did on our that. on any uh, page on our website. So mm-hmm. up to thirty seconds. So you just record your voice with any question or comments, and we can play it, listen to it, and respond. Yep. So like this episode would be like two hundred of those. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so also uh, make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages: uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Q Code Podcast, and. Uh, Yeah, thanks again, guys, for listening in. Don't forget to rate us and leave us a five-star review if you could. Um, And catch us next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.